0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening
1: to the Believe in Giants podcast with Giants legend Carl Banks and broadcaster Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of Believe in Giants. Bob Papa, two-time Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Tell a friend to tell a friend. It's Saints Week, Giants and Saints. We'll preview the matchup in a little bit, but Carl, uh, we got a we got a good buddy, a longtime uh associate of ours, Gary Myers, is joining us here on the show.
0: Yeah, it's so great to have Gary and um he's done some really good work. He's 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 done some cool books with the likes of Tom Brady and He's covered the NFL and he goes deep, deep, deep back into the Dallas Cowboys uh and annals, if you will. He can tell us so many different things. And um, Gary, we're so happy to have you, man, because um you endeavored to write what has turned out to be a very, very good book, entertaining book, informative book, and I um, really want to know what, what was the inspiration, first and foremost, of the book? And congratulations, Once a Giant.
2: Yeah, thanks, Carl. It's Once a Giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. And uh, I-, I was looking for a way to tell the story about, you know, what happens to players, what has happened to players from your generation, from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. And the impact uh, of life after football and the challenges that the players have faced, you know, both with mental health, health issues, financial issues, physical issues. So I, I, instead of like finding players around the NFL and cherry picking them and and telling their stories, I didn't think there would be any real continuity to a book like that. It would just be like 12 or 15 individual stories. Mm -hmm. But by telling the story of one team, And particularly this 86 Giants team, which those of us who have lived through all this and uh, covered it or, you know, been fans of it, we know that's the most popular and romanticized of the Giants four Super Bowl championship teams, besides being the best of the four, in my opinion, by far. I went back and I wanted to talk to all you guys, but I didn't want to tell the story of the season necessarily because that's been done so many times. And I didn't want to have 300 pages of depressing stories because there are some sad stories in this book. So with your help and help of a lot of your teammates, I balance it off by telling a lot of the story about the camaraderie and how that brotherhood was formed by growing up together in the NFL because it was the pre-free agency days. And by the time you guys got to 86, you were confident that was your year. And what really makes this story unique guys is that 37 years later, the bond that that team formed is still as strong as ever. And the heartwarming stories in this book, to balance off the heartbreaking stories of the book, how you guys have rallied around each other, if somebody's in need, whether it's financially, or needs to get to a doctor, or just needs emotional support, that support system that was there in the locker room in 1986 is still here as we come to the end of 2023.
1: I got a message for our fans out there. Football's back. Bet Online's your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on stats, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoffs and Super Bowl, BetOnline is going to give you access to the best football promotions and contests Available anywhere online, so head to the website today, or use your mobile device. Get in on the action. Remember, use the promo code Believe B L E A V to receive your fifty percent welcome bonus in your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts.
0: You know the you talk a lot about the camaraderie and the the stories um, that my teammates share with you, and it is some good stuff in this book. Um, But then, you know, I I look around the league and there are, you know, teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers and you hear uh, stories from former Steelers now about the current team and they need to, to get back to playing Steelers football, right? And I think back, I hear those comments and I think back on the formative years of what Giants football was. And there are two guys that were the pillars of that foundation. And it was Harry Carson and George Martin, right? Because they had been through lean times and um, we were on the brink of doing something special, but they just kind of reminded us of what it's like to be a bad football team. And as we started to build, those were the guys that were, Uh, They're instrumental in making sure that once the standard was set, that we just we held ourselves accountable and wanted to continue to get better, not to fall backwards. And um, I learned, you know, because I came from a Big Ten college and I know what fans are like, you know, having having great fans and people screaming. But I never really. Got the opportunity to really understand what these wins and losses meant to the giant fan. And you have an appreciation because the relationship, uh, that was the other thing that 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 I and all of my teammates, we learned um from Harry and from George um what it means to have a relationship with your fans at a professional football level. It was different, our relationship, and I think. Uh, those are formative years for uh, giant fans as well you know because they get got a chance to really be part of uh this team part of our winning part of uh our blue collar mentality and it was just it, it's just super cool and I'm I'm super grateful that I had you know, teammates two teammates in particular George Martin and Harry Carson because it was it was different like these guys um, they told us how we should interact with our fans they told us why we should appreciate um, the giant fan and you know those are just parts of a story that you've written and, and I don't I don't I mean you had so much information I'm sure that didn't even get in the book But I really, for me, uh, really wanted to highlight and and to really say thank you to George Martin and Harry Carson for the bond that our team had with our Giants community. And that was, you know, they're champions like we were, that fan base, because it was something special. Our relationship uh, with our fan base was something special. And it wasn't always great. Um, but it was special. We appreciated those guys, and you know Bill Parcells, the guy who um, was also a guy that that talked a lot about the fans, and not like not in a superficial way or not in a dismissive way, but like they were part of what we were building.
2: Well, you know, Carl, I think what made your '86 team so special to the fans that had been 30 years since mm-hmm. the giants had last won a championship and that era of giant fans went through a period from 1964 um until 1981 when they finally broke a, a long playoff drought i mean just think about that from 1964 through the 1980 season the giants hadn't made the playoffs
1: that was my youth man that I, was my youth yeah <laughs> me too
2: me too and I was there for the fumble game. You know, I covered that game. Shows how old I am. I I was there a couple weeks later when that plane flew overhead against the Cardinals that said 15 years of lousy football, we've had enough. Uh, It was in that period of time, that season, when fans had these um, makeshift toilets out in the parking lot of Giants Stadium when they were burning tickets before a game. So that fan base had been through hell. Um, uh, and, and the, when things finally got turned around and I won't even say 81, because then in 82 was a strike year and that was a, just a forgettable season for everybody. And then 83 Parcells goes 3 and one and almost gets fired. But then 84, you're losing the divisional round to the Niners. The Niners go on and win the championship. And 85, you're losing the divisional round to the Bears and the Bears go on and win the Super Bowl. And. I just remember that the feeling around that team, even though the interesting thing for me, I was still working in Dallas, but I was still really close with a bunch of you guys. Now I hadn't known you yet, Carl, because when I left in 81, you obviously weren't there yet, but I knew Sims and Taylor and, you know, Carson and George Martin and Jim Burton, all those guys. So I had stayed in touch with them. And I knew the feeling going into that season was you guys really felt it was going to be that year for you. And then Mm -hmm. you go and lose, to dallas in the opening game and it goes oh you know not again you know it's just going to be mm-hmm. unfulfilled expectations and then i remember uh, harry or parcells told me the story that after that game parcells gave harry all the fine money that had been collected in training camp and he told him i want you get, i want you to take the whole team out to dinner and just make sure you're sticking together. What was it like a beefsteak Charlie's on Route seven? Yeah,
0: it was called Beef Beefsteak Charlie's. We had a few of those, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's that's, uh, how, that's how it started. Yeah. Times
1: have changed, Beefsteak Charlie's right. Uh, right? It's carbone
0: now. <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, uh what was it? It was a it was a Tony Dorset draw, the game winning yeah. score. No,
2: it was Herschel Walker.
1: Oh, Herschel Walker with the draw. Know what?
2: The reason I, I'm positive about that it was Herschel Walker's first game with the Cowboys after the US uh, <clears> football.
1: <throat> but uh, um, when you when you mentioned the fumble, I mean I'm 14 and a half or whatever, and I never would leave the TV screen. But my parents had tickets to Doug Henning the Magic Show, and we had just gone over the George Washington Bridge. We we're going oh, down yeah. the West Side Highway, listening to the game on the radio. And I'm like screaming in the backseat of the car that Pizarczyk has just fumbled as Jim Gordon is describing this thing. And needless to say, I have disdain for the Doug Henning magic show for the rest of my life. Just thinking about (laughs) driving down the West side highway, listening to Pizarchik fumble.
2: That's funny. You know, I was working for the, uh, for the Associated Press back in, in 1978. And the whole thing was we would call the New York office and, and dictate the first five paragraphs of the story so as soon as the game was over they would hit the button and the story would go out on the wire and the whole idea was uh, I was working for the AP the UPI writer was a couple of seats to my left or whatever and we wanted to beat them onto the wire so that newspapers would use our story so i had my whole story dictated i remember this to Halbach who was a longtime AP guy and He's got his back to the television, the New York office, and I'm counting down. Okay, we got 40 seconds. I don't remember exactly how many seconds were left, but it was less than a minute. And I'm saying the Giants just gonna sit on the ball. I'll count down the seconds to you. And then all of a sudden, Pasarchik spins and tries to hand it off to Zonka and the ball's on the ground. And I'm, I'm yelling at Bach. I said, Turn around, watch this, look at the TV. You're not gonna believe this. And you know, Herm Edwards of all people picks it up and runs it for a touchdown. Hmm. And within a minute, I had to dictate a new first four paragraphs, and um, and we got that story out pretty quick. But that was my really introduction to deadline journalism. Was that fumble changing everything? And uh, uh, and and that really, you know, if I remember correctly, the next morning, um, but Bob, help me with this. The offensive Bob Gibson, the offensive mm-hmm. coordinator, gets fired. And then after the season, John McVeigh got fired and Andy Robustelli resigned. And that was the impetus for change. Was that one play really was the impetus for change mm. to George Young eventually getting hired and Perkins and Parcells and, you know, that great era of Giants football in the 80s. So, I'm go
0: ahead, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. No. Gary, the, the, this, the book has so many... Fun and interesting stories about—I um, don't want to say lifestyle, but our football lives. Mm-hmm. Um, were you shocked at how open some of my teammates were, and and some of the things that um, you found out? And you—you, you, I remember a couple of times you called me, and say, "Is this true? Did this did this yeah. really happen?"
2: You were a great um, fact-checking resource for me because you have a tremendous memory and you filled in so many details where I was want well, just, you know, I tried to be extremely careful with this because some of it was really sensitive, but Carl, the one thing I've always prided myself on in my, in my journalism career is, is building trust with the people that I interview and Them knowing if they say to me, this is off the record, that they don't have to worry about it showing up in print. Mm -hmm. And if they say, I'm going to tell you this story, but it's really sensitive, please handle this properly. They know that that's how I was going to do it. And because a lot of people have said, you know, how did you get Bavaro to tell you this stuff or Bobby Johnson or, or whatever, you know, some really sensitive things. And I guess said, well, I had relationships with them and they trusted me. And, there, you know, four players in the book that admitted that um, they contemplated taking their own lives in their years after football because of things that related to their football career, whether it was, you know, mental health issues or financial issues. And I think the most incredible interview I've ever done in my career was the three hours that I spent with Mark Bavaro at his home in Massachusetts now you know, I had no Mark over the years and we all knew how he was in the locker room. And I think that was intentional that he gets held back. And he's probably a mystery to some of you guys as well. But he had told me going into that interview that he really had suffered from long-term COVID, but I didn't know the degree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he contracted it um, Easter Sunday in 2021. And I was at his house in March of 22 and he was going over how he believes the virus had attacked his brain because his brain was vulnerable as a result of all the concussions that he suffered during his football career. And you know the, the virus attacked some people's lungs or other parts of their body. But with Mark, they think that it was his brain. And he went through a period of depression and paranoia, um, and, um, and anxiety that he was saying, you know, his brain was on basically on fire. Mm. And he, he didn't know what to do. And um, he thought about his former teammates, Dave Duerson, who we played with at Notre Dame. And then, you know, you played with with Mark uh with, Duerson, with the Giants in, in 1990. And he thought about Andre Waters, who he played with at the end of his career in Philadelphia, and Junior Seau through a mutual friend, Bert Grossman, if we remember him from mm-hmm. the Chargers. That Mark became friendly with Junior Sayow, and he always, he couldn't come to grips with how were things so bad for those three guys? How were their mental issues so bad that they took their own lives? They each shot it, you know, they shot themselves and when their brains were donated for CTE research, it turned out they all had it. But Mark still couldn't understand how could these guys reach the depth of despair that they would leave their families and take their own lives? And so he's sitting in the same chair in his living room talking to me that he sat in one night during the worst part of his brain being on fire. And he he said he basically had a war going on in his head, that the intellectual side of him was saying to him, Mark, you'll, you'll get through this. You have a great family, a great support system. You'll find the right doctor to get you the right meds, that things will calm down. And then his emotional side was saying, I finally understand what Duerson and Waters and say I will mm. go. For how long can you stand on the edge of a cliff without jumping? And this was real anguish that and conflict that was going on in his head. Now, fortunately, and thank goodness,
0: mm.
2: he never acted on any of those impulses. And eventually, through the help of the Giants and some of the programs that the league in the NFL P- PA has set up. He finally found the right doctors in Boston after trying for months and got on the right uh prescriptions, and things eventually got better for him. But i ju- I'm just telling you guys, sitting there and listening to that story and thinking, this is Mark Bavaro telling me. This is a guy who didn't want to tell you, you know, anything or not they didn't want to tell you, but just didn't. That wasn't the point. He wasn't at the point of his life when he played that he's really a forthcoming guy. That's just who he was. Mm-hmm. But, but now, and I'm sure you guys have had interaction with him over the years, he's just a completely different person. And to listen to him tell me this story, on the one hand, my heart was breaking. On the other hand, I'm thinking, this is going to be an unbelievable story to tell in the book because his teammates, like you said, Carl, you know, there's stuff in this book that that you guys don't know, and mm-hmm. I was just really appreciative of so many of these players just opening up to me about the most sensitive topics uh, that have taken place in their lives, and um, you know, I, and as a result, I think I put together a book that is going to, this good as time, is going to make you laugh because some of the stories that you know you've told me, yeah. and and really, people have told me that they've got tears in their eyes reading about what's happened to some of these players that they've revered over the years.
1: So Gary, where can fans find the book? Holidays are coming. uh, Yeah. Once a giant, always a giant, a story of victory, tragedy and life after football.
2: Yeah. Well, it's actually once a giant, not always a giant. Yeah, Once a giant. uh, Shorten that one. Um, (laughs) It's a great holiday gift. And I'm I'm thankful the wall street journal picked it as one of three sports books in its recommendation for the holidays, but you can get it at Amazon Barnes & Noble, any of the online sites. If you still like to go to bookstores, there's plenty of Barnes & Noble around. And uh, there's still plenty of time before the holidays. And I, I appreciate you guys having me on to let me talk about it.
1: Gary, we appreciate you coming on as well. Happy holidays to you and your family. I know you and Carl have a thing at the Union League coming up next week that should be a lot of fun for the those that are going to be in attendance there. But uh, best of luck with the book and thanks for a few minutes.
2: Thank you so much, guys, and happy holidays. And I'll see you next week. Thanks, after. Gary. Take
0: care. You got it,
1: Carl, just a fascinating, uh, trip. It's an, it's a, it's an incredible book. I mean, just reading the whole thing is, has been absolutely spellbounding. And, and the fact that like a lot of you guys don't know some of the stories that are in the book is pretty cool. That's what makes it. Yeah,
0: it does Bob. And you know, I think probably for a lot of guys that trip down memory lane, uh, was therapeutic. You know, and it also highlighted the the, the uh, importance of of uh, teamwork and bonding as friends. And, and I think that, you know, guys have an opportunity to share these stories with Gary. And, you know, teammates hearing about those stories are laughing when we see each other now. It's like, wow, this is really cool. And, you know, the situation with Mark, man, I, I consider one of my he was considered, I consider him one of my best friends and we never talked. Right. We worked right. together. We talked, we said little things, but we, you know, always kept in touch. Even when, um, we retired, it would be, you know, Hey Mark, Hey call. you know, I would <laughs> text his, his, uh, Boston accent and, and through a text message, Hey Mark, M-A-A-R-K. And, uh, you know, we'd have a, a chuckle, but, it's just it's just fun but he was like i wasn't his closest friend but he was one of my best friends as a teammate cuz you know we we shared you know obviously our abusive uh nine on seven practices and one on one drills but you know we worked to get each other better and it was just fun and we we mocked the coaches quietly as we're walking off the field in practice about how crazy they were and you know we're like two showpieces for them in in practice, but it was all good. We had so much fun.
1: All right, so I'm looking at this, uh, the Saints. They are second in the NFL in completion percentage against. Quarterbacks are only hitting 57%. They're seventh in passing yards allowed, 189 a game. They're second in touchdown to interception ratio, 16 touchdowns against, 14 picks and they're first in the NFL in quarterback passer rating against, 74.7. So how do the Giants go down in New Orleans and win this game?
0: The Giants play to their profile. That's what they do. Um, Those numbers are probably in line with the Giants' averages right now. So if they can play to that profile, um, be efficient uh, in terms of uh, not putting the ball in harm's way, And uh, this is going to be a game where the defense has to make plays um, because it's going to be tough for this offense down there. Um, The one thing you can't do defensively, Bob, is let uh, Alvin Kamara ruin the game with a 35-yarder or or 40-yard run for touchdown or catch for touchdown. You have to contain him. You're not going to stop him, but you have to contain Kamara because he's the guy that keeps their offense on schedule. He's their go-to guy, um, and they got to tackle. It's simple as that. Um, he's not an easy guy to tackle. Taysom Hill, if he plays, he's not an easy guy to tackle. Uh, they got to get guys on the ground. No yards have to carry because this defense will have to be more and p- play a bigger role in this victory if they are to get one.
1: Yeah, I mean, and look, I know everybody talks about going out and playing New Orleans. Um, You know, the Giants beat the Saints the last time they played them down there. That was Barkley's touchdown run in overtime. In the previous five games, the Giants had been outscored 221 to 129, but that was Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Those numbers Mm -hmm. are gone. That's all gone now. And in fact, the Saints this season are averaging less points per game at home than they do on the road. Uh, Derek Carr is, I mean, he his passing numbers, I think he's gone. I got to look at the stat here. He's gone four games this season in which he's had 130 or fewer passing yards. So it's not like the old saints of the track meet. This is going to really be about defense and grinding it out in this game. And then Tommy DeVito doing what he's been doing and not turn the football over.
0: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And when you look at the division that um, the Saints play in, they're in a grinded out division. It's not pretty football that they play in that division. So um, they are not dissimilar to the Giants where they've got to take advantage of every opportunity. And um, if you're again, if you're a giant defender, just understand what's important in a game like this. And it is tackling. Um you play to your strengths, but you cannot be exploited. Now, the Giants still, defensively, they still give up some plays. Um, in a game like this, you cannot afford to give up chunk plays because it could be the difference in a game on the road in New Orleans.
1: What else about this game, is uh, as we kind of look at it, the jumps out at
0: you? The Saints' defense. They're still a good defense. Their defense is the one that kind of carries the day for them too. I mean, they can get after the passer. Um they will they, you know, they can give you some exotic looks um defensively. You've got to be able offensively, your offensive line has to be great communicators. And that means the offensive line that extends out to the wide receivers. Everybody has got to be on the same page um or else they're gonna they're gonna see their quarterback under duress a lot.
1: Yeah, Paulson Adebo has four interceptions, he's got 14 passes defended and then you got like you know, then you got like the old hands, right? Cam Jordan has been doing it at a high level mm-hmm. for a long time and I know I know you love linebacker play and, and you think about DeMario Davis's career in the NFL yeah. and he's just one of those unicorns where like deep into his career Kind of like London Fletcher yep. did it. They play at like a really high level over a long period of time. And, and DeMario Davis is as good now as he ever was.
0: Yeah, he knows the game. He plays the game uh, from the head down. I mean, he's just a smart guy, uh, great anticipation. Um, he's doing, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you, he's studying every one of these offensive linemen. Uh, he's conveying that to his guys, both he, he and Cam Jordan, both. Um, are just you know very cerebral and mental uh type players as well as good physically but um Davis is as good as they come at his age man he he just knows how to play the game and he will cause some problems for you too you got to get him blocked
1: how about this Devito factor um he's the fir- he's the first undrafted rookie quarterback to lead two game-winning drives back to back in the common draft era. Think about that. Think about the undrafted quarterbacks that have played in this league. He's got three wins. It's interesting too because there's a lot of people that you know criticize, and they look at this. Mm-hmm. He, he's three and he's three and one as a starting quarterback in the league. I don't know how long it's going to go. It might continue to go. Um, but all I know is he's winning games, and there's a lot of backup quarterbacks that wish they had won three games in a row over the course of their careers.
0: Yeah, this is, um, you know, a Testament to, uh, Tommy DeVito's, um, preparation, his maturity as a young player. Um, but there was always something about him and I'm not putting him anywhere, but where he is right now. Right. So I'm not projecting, um, for this young man but he has earned <clears throat> the success that he is having right now um clearly you know come from behind victories there have to be other players on the other end of something that the quarterback is doing but Tommy DeVito is doing his part right he's making good passes he's making good decisions uh when to run when not to run he's not taking sacks but He's throwing footballs to people that are catching them, and that's important. He's placing the ball where his his teammates can catch them, and that's why um, he's having this success. Backup quarterbacks normally, um, in certain situations, you wait for the shoe to fall. You say it's about to happen. You know um, that's why he's a backup. But this kid is playing like a starter. Um, his teammates, um, in particular. Saquon Barkley has been a huge help for this guy, the run game, this offensive line who has gotten better by the week. Um, And, you know, I went back four weeks, five, almost, yeah, four weeks to talk about how I was starting to see signs and each week they've gotten better and better and better. And so um, everything is coming together for the young quarterback and, you know, he's doing his part. You know, if it ain't broke, don't break it. And he's not breaking it. Do you see what the Giants put out on
1: their YouTube channel where they have the game winning field goal and yes. then they have us, in the, us in the
0: booth? Yes.
1: How about my son, Christopher? My son, Christopher, who's back from his deployment, his first deployment, he was in Estonia for a long time and Poland for a little bit. I mean, he looks like he's 12 the way he's running around hugging everybody in the booth.
0: Listen, man, that was that was one of the more exciting victories that we've we've witnessed outside of Super Bowls. And we've had some big moments in that booth. But that one was was something. And I and I think, like I said, I think it was it was a program win because you know, as you call the game, you often cite stats, and some of them are not good, like the Giants record on Monday night football. And then, you know, you start to talk about those things, and you're looking at a team that is where they are record-wise. And here they are on this drive, and you're just recalling what Bob said, they're awful on Monday nights, right, if you're a fan. And that, that sits there. And all of a sudden, you're saying, oh, shoot, they just gave up a touchdown. They had this victory. Oh, crap, Barkley could have ended the game, but he fumbled. And you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. And then all of a sudden, they get it going, and there's that field goal. And that is just kind of – it just opened up a lot of uh, great feelings because they shook off so many things that should not have happened Um, given the facts that were present in their record on Monday night and all the things that could go wrong actually did go wrong, except for, you know, you have one drive where you're rolling. And then the next drive, you're saying, okay, just end the game. And Barkley breaks out one. And then all of a sudden the defense couldn't hold the rope. And it was like, okay, here's, this is our season in a nutshell. It's I'm, I'm sure that's a lot of the sentiments in that stadium, and I know Christopher, who's a huge Giant fan, understands that. He knows those feelings. And that kick, man, it was just, you know, it uncorked a lot of a lot of happiness. All uh, right, you got anything else? No, nah, man. Uh, I think Giants defense is going to have to play a major role in this. Uh, this offensive line will too, but I think this defense, and, and when I say play a major role – it's just doing the blocking, the, the tackling and the blocking uh for this offensive line, but they've got to be good tacklers because you know the chunk plays could make a difference in a game like this. Coach Dable got his jacket. The Giants got a win. Tommy D got his jacket. Wendell got sold- his
1: jacket. <laughs> that thing <laughs> sold out fast. Yeah,
0: it did. It
1: All did. right. Carl, how do we like to end
0: it?